Hi, all you Scandal Water fans. This is Sharla from Eminence, Kentucky, and I love listening to my sweet friends, Ashley and Candy, as I'm driving in my car. Let's see what tea is brewing today. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. Oh, it's a biggie. It's a biggie. So excited Happy today. Valentine's Day, first of all, or day right? before Valentine's oh, that's Day. Right. And we have a love story for you. Mm. Oh, guys, we are talking about Princess Bride today. The Princess Bride. Oh, as we told you, our theme for this month is Love is in the Air. And Ashley chose two rom coms. I chose two. And just going to kind of walk through and talk about why mm-hmm. we love them so much. Mm-hmm. A little bit of interesting information. We're going to react to them, just all the good stuff. But I chose this particular one because it's Valentine's week. And I mean, have you ever seen a movie more about true love than <laughs> The Princess right. Bride? <laughs> also, it is a cult classic. How many years since it's been out? And I will still hear references. Oh, yeah. To this movie come oh, up yes. every now and then in normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. I'm sure not so much with the teens out there, but I, you know, that's a good question. I wonder how many teens have seen it because their parents love it so much. They've shown it I to them. I bet they have. I yeah. bet more than you think. I bet so. Well, I was going to ask you, Ashley, can you remember the very first time you saw Princess Bride? No, I can't because I've seen it so many times that I could not even cast my mind back to the first time. I, I don't remember. It's wow. just been, it's like, it's been a part of my life for as long as I remember. So it's one of those movies that you've watched again and oh, again yeah. and again, oh, yeah. like in on your home, you know, on your home video, whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have you ever seen it out at a theater? Yes. I have seen it twice at a theater. Once when they had a, I don't remember what year, some kind of celebration where they showed it at a movie theater and we mm-hmm. went, went and saw it because I'd never seen it in a theater. And then I saw it last March. Oh, that's right. That's right. When I got to, Brian and I went, it's, I think, I think I said this is what I wanted for either my birthday or Valentine's Day, we went and watched it at the Louisville Palace and we got to meet Carrie Elways afterwards. So exciting. Yes. And it was. And you're going to tell us more about that, I'm sure, yes. as we move through this. Yes. Yeah. But it was cool to watch it with an audience who said the lines with it, applauded when each character came on. And <sighs> it was just, it was, it was a fantastic experience. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it a million times. I've heard it referenced a million times, mm-hmm. but I've only probably seen the whole thing a couple. But watching it again after so long, it was so nostalgic because oh, it yeah. made me remember why and how much. I 
loved it mm-hmm. on my first viewing because mm-hmm. I did. The first time I saw this movie, I was blown away. I absolutely adored it. I hope they never remake it. I, I hope, hope it's so one of those things that they don't ever reboot or remake or anything. I hope it stays this forever. It was perfection. I don't think you could capitalize on perfection. 100%. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff. By the way, Ashley's going to be chiming in, not just with some stories from yes. her viewing, but also, do you want to tell them what you have there? Yes, I, due to time constraints, I did not rewatch the film, but I figured I'd be okay since I've seen it so mm-hmm, many times. Right. Instead, I read the book that I got as part of when I went that evening. It is called As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride by Carrie Elways with Joe Layden. And if you look here. Did he sign it? Oh, yes. <gasps> it's signed. So cool. Yes. That's awesome. So we're going to be hearing all kinds of tidbits from those two sources. But just to kind of give us a little bit of background, here's a reminder. It was released in 1987, rated PG. If you've not seen it, I can't believe it. But all right, just in case, (laughs) here's the IMDb summary. A kindly grandfather sits down with his ill grandson and reads him a story that has been passed down from father to son for generations. As the grandfather reads the story, the action comes alive. The story is a classic tale of love and adventure as the beautiful Buttercup, engaged to the odious Prince Humperdinck, is kidnapped and held against her will in order to start a war. It is up to Wesley, her childhood beau, now returned as the dread pirate Roberts, to save her. On the way, he meets a thief and his hired helpers, an accomplished swordsman, and a huge strong giant, both of whom become Wesley's companions in his quest. Do you think that covered it? Yeah. It doesn't make it as exciting as it is. Right. Yes, it covers it. Yes. (laughs) So I I don't know. I love the movie so much. I think I also love the how it came to be a movie story Mm -hmm. almost as much. It was written by William Goldman, the novel published in 1973. And then he was also the one who later would adapt it into the movie screenplay. Yes. And he said that I had two little daughters. I think they were seven and four at the time. And I said, I'll write you a story. What do you want it to be about? One of them said, a princess. And the other one said, a bride. I said, that'll be the title. So he ends up creating the story, partly initiated by his children. And he used some other things from his life in it. For example, the characters Max and Valerie, who were played by Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, were named after his own parents. The Florin, where Prince Humperdinck reigns is the name of an Italian gold coin once minted in Florence and the Gilder, the neighboring country where Humperdinck was going to murder Buttercup in order to start a war. That's the name of a Dutch gold coin. I don't suppose that was from his life, but they were like real inspiration, I should say. But he wrote this novel that was really popular and wanted it to be a movie from the get-go, but nobody would take it on. I know. I see you're looking through your book. Well, I'm just looking at the why it's timeless according to Mm -hmm. Carrie Elways and he says, I think it withstands the rigors of time because it seems to be a timeless story, a tale of love and romance of heroes and villains. And although it is a film from the 1980s, there's nothing on the screen that betrays its birth date, notwithstanding perhaps the rodents of unusual size. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, after people were turning this down, finally, Rob Reiner came into the picture. William Goldman was Rob Reiner's favorite author and The Princess Bride was actually his favorite novel. In Mm -hmm. fact, it was his dad, Carl Reiner, who'd given him the novel. After 
Rob Reiner became a filmmaker and he'd gotten a little fame. In fact, 1984's This Is Spinal Tap yeah, was the big one. Right. He had his heart set on making The Princess Bride as a movie and William Goldman, they called him Bill, he was all for it. But the studio execs were leery. They didn't want to do it. It was finally film producer Norman Lear, whom Rob Reiner had worked for, you know, and all in the family. He was the one who really kind of helped him get it going. Yeah, he basically financed it. He gave him the money. He mm-hmm. didn't really have anything to do with it other than the financing. But according to Carrie's book here, he's the one that just finally gave the money and says, yeah, go make this. I do have a little cute quote here just because it ties into our last month theme mm-hmm. of Alfred Hitchcock, which how would Alfred Hitchcock tie into The Princess Bride? Let me tell you. On page 23, they have William Goldman's quote about meeting with Rob Reiner where he was talking to yes. him. He says, William Goldman says, they came to my apartment and we met for a while. Rob had done some terrific movies that I liked. I mean, he wasn't Alfred Hitchcock, but he's a great director. <laughs> And I liked him personally. You don't get offered that many things by good directors. So I thought, hey, Alfred. There we go. I love it. What I thought was really cool, something I'd never heard before, was how William Goldman had this kind of quirky approach to Uh the novel. This is, by the way, is a very intellectual man. He's a writer who's written a lot of acclaimed stuff, one of them being All the President's Men. But when he wrote this particular book, here's a little excerpt from a Screen Rant article that explains this approach he took. The Princess Bride novel opens with an introduction where Goldman explains the history of the Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern, Mm -hmm. how his father had read The Princess Bride to him out loud when he was sick as a child, and how he was inspired to buy the book for his own son. Goldman was horrified, however, to discover that the epic adventure he remembered so fondly from his childhood was actually a dry political satire. (laughs) It seemed that Goldman's father had skipped over a lot of the original novel in his reading. It goes on, but the point is, he ends up publishing his book, The Princess Bride, as being abridged. It's the it's the good parts edition yes. of The Princess Bride. And supposedly he did this whole little backstory of how S. Morgenstern's estate was objecting. I know. And they were, yeah, I thought I've it was read so The Princess cute. Bride and I was fooled into thinking it was real. <laughs> a when lot I first of people read were, it, I was like, I wait, think. this is real? That's awesome. I will give you a little connection here, though, that Carrie Elways actually also read the book, The Princess mm-hmm. Bride, when he was 13 oh, years old. Oh, I love that. And he says on page 14 of his memoir here, it turns out that Carrie's stepfather had worked in the literary department of the William Morris Agency in Los Angeles, and after leaving to make movies, he had produced William Goldman's first screenplay adapted from the novel The Moving Target. So anyway, further down, it says, being a huge fan of Goldman's, my stepfather naturally kept a copy of The Princess his bride in his library and one day gave it to me to read. Needless to say, I loved it. I remember reading the author's own description of the good bits from S. Morgenstern's <laughs> fictitious novel. Fencing, fighting, torture, poison, true love, hate, revenge, giants, hunters, bad men, good men, beautiful ladies, snakes, spiders, pain, death, brave men, cowardly men, strongest men, chases, escapes, lies, truths, passion, miracles. Now, if that didn't sound exciting to a 13-year-old, nothing would. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Well, the other thing I liked putting together was how they actually, I never knew that that was a nod to the original novel, the way the movie starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the grandson being read the story by his grandfather, who in in the movie was played by Peter Falk. I thought that was awesome, the way that they made a point to incorporate that. Right, to use that as their frame. Yeah. Because as a person watching the movie, it worked for me. You know, like it worked for me as just an audience member. I never would have 
have thought they did that just to kind of honor mm-hmm. this original, mm-hmm. you know, this original novel. Well, let's talk about the cast. Okay. And I know you've got a lot of things, so you just chime in here whenever. But Robin Wright, in an interview, said that she only had one movie behind her at this time. But of course, we all know she had starred in Santa Barbara, the soap opera, for a few years. She was only 21 in this I thought she was 20. She's either 20 well, or 21. She might have been 20 during the filming, but yeah. She, yeah, she was 21. Several sources, including Robin herself in an interview, said they had read over 500 actresses mm-hmm. before they cast her because, of course, it was hard to find the most beautiful girl in the yep. land. Some of the ones that they reportedly did not go with were Courtney Cox and Uma Thurman. We, of course, know Robin Wright after this movie. She was a star, huge yep. star. But then her fame escalated even more because it wasn't long after that she was Jenny in Forrest Gump. Yes. Yeah. Here's William Goldman's recalling about her. He says, I went out to California because we were trying to find Buttercup. She had to be the most beautiful girl in the world. And all these beautiful girls came in and they were gorgeous, but they weren't Buttercup. Finally, Rob called and said, I think I found her. And then Robin came in the room and we talked for a minute. And I immediately called Robin and said, grab her because she Mm. was, you know, just unbelievable. And she still is. So about Carrie, I know you'll have a lot to say about him. Rob Reiner was quoted as saying that he saw Carrie in a movie called Lady Jane and and knew he was perfect. Yes. He said he looked like a young Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And he was the only person, this is Rob speaking, the only person I could imagine doing it with. I didn't have anyone else. Yeah. So from the beginning, it was Carrie. Here's Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner are really close friends. And he's on page 31 saying, I remember Rob coming back from Germany because they went to Germany to meet with Carrie saying, wait till you see this guy. He's Douglas Fairbanks Jr but he's also really funny and he does impressions. He's a very alive guy, Carrie, a very alert guy. And you know, I love that about him. He's always so in tune with what's going on in the moment. When I met him, I got the same feeling as Rob. This guy was in the same ballpark with Fairbanks Jr., a young Errol Flynn, Mm -hmm. kind of your dashing, sensitive leading man who could also hurt you if he had to. (laughs) I found this little five minutes, I think it was, yeah, five minutes clip that had Rob Reiner talking about casting and Carrie chimed in, some other people spoke as well. Bill Goldman was one of them. And they said some of those exact same things. It was like this casting process, they knew what they wanted. And when they saw certain people, it's like this fit. This fit yeah. their fairy tale image. They were looking for this almost fantastical character and they would find that human person who could do it. And there you went. There he is. Yeah. According to William Goldman, when he was first trying to get the movie made in the 1970s, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was then unknown, wanted to play Fezzik. Mm-hmm. And he was strongly being considered because William Goldman couldn't get his first choice, which was Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. So by the time the movie was actually made, Arnold Schwarzenegger had gone on to become such a big star, they couldn't afford him. Oh. And they finally did get Andre the Giant. And by the way, the two of those had gone on to become friends. But a little note that was in one of my sources said, the French wrestling champ was a true legend in and out of the ring, standing at seven feet, four inches and weighing in at 520 pounds, Andre was a WWF heavyweight champion, sometimes billed as the eighth wonder. And Bill Goldman commented in an interview that he had been able to watch Andre wrestle in person on several occasions. Now, Carrie shared in an interview that was in one of the anniversary articles, something that I thought was very sweet. These are words from Carrie himself. Andre said, we big people don't live long. He had that thing you come across with people who are terminally ill where they have a secret most of us don't get. They understand that life is precious and you have to cherish every moment. He really imparted that to me. Mm -hmm. 
He was so filled with life and fun and so sweet, such a truly gentle soul. I mean, for a guy who could crush you like swatting a mosquito, mm -hmm. he was so incredibly gentle. I made him tell me his whole life story. He grew up in a little village in France. He couldn't fit into the school bus even when he was 12. And the only person in the village who had a convertible who could drive him to school was Samuel Beckett. I had that too, yes. Which I think is another movie, Waiting for Andre. Yes, yes. Oh. I will say that throughout this book, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell all the stories because I want you to buy the book and read it yourself. But I think he talked about Andre almost more than anybody else. Really? Yeah. It feels like Andre really left an impression on everyone and none of it was bad. It was just, mm -hmm. here's another story about how sweet he was. Here's oh. another story about how wonderful he was, what I learned from him, who he was. Everybody just seemed to love him, oh. truly love him. Yeah. And it was sad because he was in so much pain. Yeah. Like he looked so strong, mm -hmm. but Robin Wright talked about the fact that she was barely a hundred pounds and he couldn't hold her because he was in so much pain. They had to rig it up so that her weight was not on him. And he did end up dying in 1993 at the age of 46. Mm -hmm. Here's what Robin Wright says on page 118 about him. He was a smiler and he never complained. You could tell he was in tremendous pain, but he would never complain about it. You could see in his face when he would try to stand up from a seat position he was just the most gentle giant so incredibly sweet well I just love I just loved his character and and now I I think I really love that actor too well moving on we have our connection to the Curtis family Ashley did you know that who what Christopher Guest who played Count Tyrone Rugen or the six-fingered man yeah has been married to Jamie Lee oh, yeah, Curtis Jamie Lee since Curtis, 1984 yes. we're just covering that whole family I tell we? you what we I mean yeah it's a thing but according to People Magazine Christopher Guest is best known for writing, directing, and starring in a series of comedic films that pioneered the mockumentary yes. style. You have? Yeah. Have you seen This Is Spinal Tap? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I saw it I a long time not. ago. Yeah, that came out in 1988, and that was that was a biggie. That was one of the ones that came out before The Princess Bride, obviously. And so he's famous for several like that. I thought he did a fabulous job oh, as yeah, the six-fingered man. Yeah. Fred Savage was 10 when he was cast as the sick little boy whose grandfather, Peter Falk, reads him the book, The Princess Bride. And Peter Falk, just to kind of divert here for just a second. He, He's Columbo. Yes, he was one of the film's biggest stars at the time it came out yep. because of Columbo, which had gone from 1968 just to 2003. Just one more thing. <laughs> yes. Just one more yes. thing. And then it, it, there was a revival of it. So it, there had been two spells of Columbo. The role earned him a bunch of Emmy Awards and a Golden Globe. He'd done, you know, he'd won Oscars. So this guy, he was a big star at the time. And Fred Savage talked about how sweet he was. They did all the other parts of the film before this. And so basically the grandson and the grandfather were the final things that yes. they shot. Fred Savage at one point was kind of remembering this. And he said he remembered that all the sets and the crew and everybody was there and how what a big deal this was that you know he was kind of in the center of this mm -hmm. but he talked about how Rob Reiner as the director while Rob was great with him it was Peter Falk who became his buddy on the set he yeah. said there was no one warmer he was so good to me and made me feel so comfortable he was just terrific during the shoot and for many many years after that I have a little more about that on page 171 it says something similar to what you just said and then he adds honestly I don't even remember when we were shooting our when we weren't shooting. He would sit in that chair and I would be in that bed and he would talk to me all day. Aww. I grew very fond of him. Over the years, he and I remained in contact. I had a great affection for him. I was so devastated as so many people were when he passed away. That's what I remember more than anything, Peter and his warmth. 
I forgot all about acting or even shooting a movie. He just kind of became my grandfather. So sweet. I know. Well, of course, it was his work on this movie that helped Fred Savage win the lead role of Kevin Arnold on The Wonder Years, which premiered in 1988. So kudos to him for doing such a great job. I fell in love with this story I found about Mandy Patinkin. So he actually came into The Princess Bride with Yentl behind him. So he had had a little bit of a name behind him. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he and Rob must have gotten along really well because he said in an interview that Rob let him pick whichever role he wanted. Mm. And of course, what he wanted was Inigo Montoya, the one who was on a quest to avenge his father's murder. And he said, he has said over the years, Mandy, that this role is his personal favorite over the course of his entire career. Mm-hmm. And I found the most beautiful thing on, if it's the same. on going. social media. There was this woman oh, yes. who she, did you watch it? I have. I'm going to let you all it. hear yes. a little tiny yes. piece of it. She comes on and it breaks your heart. It does. Because she is talking about losing her dad. Yep. And she speaks at some length. And I don't know how you cannot be crying to hear her talk about the two of them and their relationship and what the Princess Bride meant to them. Meant to them. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I don't know that he'll ever hear this, but I would like to ask Mandy. I have heard that he was thinking of his own father yes. who had died of cancer as he was making this film. And I would just like to know if that's true. And Mandy responded. And so I'm going to play you just this little piece. In this situation, Mandy is standing beside his wife of many, many, many years. Yes. They are both crying. I know. By I've the seen time... it. I've seen it. It's so sweet. So give me just a minute to find it. Your dad is taking care of you. Secondly, it is true, 100% true. I went outside in this castle and walked around the, the what do they call it, where they cut the, the brushes and everything. Yeah. They cut the bushes to make like a, a maze, you know, yeah. in, in the castle. And I kept talking to my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm going to get this guy. From the minute I read the script, I, I knew I said to Kev, I said, I'm going to do this part because in my mind, if I get this six-fingered guy, that means I kill the cancer that killed my dad, and I'll get to visit my dad. That moment was coming when I, went and I played that scene with uh, Chris. And uh, and then I went back out there and talked to my dad. And so you can talk to your dad anytime you want, anywhere you want. And, um, I'm, yeah. and I'm just glad you and he shared that movie, yeah. you know, and that you have that. And listen, I want to tell you, look up the dinner party. Okay, because our daughter-in-law lost her mom when she was 20 and didn't know young people that had gone through that particular kind of grief. And you can find people that understand what you're going through and can help you. So look up the dinner party and stay strong. And you and your dad will always have that. No, no. You and your dad will always share that, and uh, we're just with you. Oh, and I will put, if you could somehow let me know your dad's name, because I say prayers for everyone I've ever known, and now I feel like I know you, and therefore I know your dad, and I will list his name in my prayers every day, uh, and they make me feel like they're with me wherever I go, and I'd like your dad to hang out with me. Was that not? It was so the sweet. sweetest. So sweet. I mean, I got emotional when I found that. Oh my goodness! When he says at the end that he wants to know, they want to know her name. I and they know. want to. They yeah. 
Yes. I pray for every person yes. I've ever met. I was like, oh, Mandy. <laughs> he wants to put them in his prayers. Did you have anything else about Mandy? I had his official quote about it, if you're interested in the book, which is where he, he says on page 70, it was 1986. My father died in 1972. I read that script and I wanted to play Inigo because my mind immediately went, if I can get that six-fingered man, then I'll have my father back in my imaginary world. He'll be alive in my imagination. So that was it for me. I was like, I'll become the greatest sword fighter and my reward will not be to be in this movie that ended up being what it's become to all these people. My reward will be that my father will come back. Mm. He took this seriously too. He did. The sword fighting, he started practicing a couple months before Carrie and uh, the six-finger man, Chris, Chris Guest said that he was basically defending himself <laughs> <laughs> when they finally got down to it. He said, I'm just going to defend myself <laughs> yes. because Anigo was coming at him. <laughs> Wallace Shawn was the one cast as the criminal mastermind famous for that line inconceivable inconceivable and it was so funny because there are so many interviews out there videos written all of them because this has been such a big movie every time they have an anniversary new articles and new interviews come out so I could find so much of it and a lot of the castmates would talk about the brilliance of Wallace Shawn or they called him Wally sometimes but he said how much it messed with his mind when he learned from his agent that Danny DeVito yes, was the yes. first choice for the yes. role did you see that he i said, did he said it almost incapacitated him like he would be in a in a, a scene and all he could be thinking about was i'm not doing it as good as danny or yeah. how would danny have done yeah. it he said it was absolutely awful in fact he said that the reason he ended up giving a good performance was because he would just imitate whatever, whatever. he thought Dan, Dan well actually really no he, he started imitating rob rob reiner would oh. be like do it like this yes. and he would just imitate rob did you have something about him i did i wanted to emphasize that what Carrie brings out is Wallace Shawn's actual intellect. He was actually incredibly smart. He truly does have a dizzying intellect, having graduated with a BA in history from Harvard mm. and studied economics at and philosophy at Oxford. After college, he originally intended to become a diplomat, but instead opted to travel to India as an English teacher on a Fulbright scholarship. And then he had this, uh, his partner, Deborah Eisenberg, who was another brilliant writer, actor, professor. They all invited them over to an apartment they shared where he said, I recall being impressed by the remarkable library in the study and him telling the others that's one of the main reasons they picked the place. He also told me during his time off, he was going to give a lecture at Oxford on English and American literature something that prominent universities around the world, not surprisingly, paid him handsomely to do. Wow. That's amazing. So he really did have a dizzying he, he intellect. He absolutely did. Well, I didn't have much about Chris Sarandon. I just was taken, I mean, there are things I could have found, but I was just taken by the fact that he was married to actress Susan Sarandon. I know. That's I didn't where she know gets her that. Name. You didn't know that? No. From 1967 to 1979, of course, they did comment about what an amazing job he did, and, the, and they loved he had that kind of European suave persona which fit the part perfectly and he has talked about how excited he was to do the role. I have a quote about that if you want it and he talks about his ex-wife Susan Sarandon having done a movie with Robert Redford who at the time owned the rights to the book and wanted to do it. Skipping on down he says uh, he read it he loved it he said this is amazing I hope this movie gets made but of course years go by and nothing happens so jump cut to many years later and suddenly I get a call from one of my agents saying Rob Reiner and Bill Goldman want you to read for the Princess Bride for the role of Prince Humper and I went, oh my God, this is a dream come true. I love this book. <laughs> awesome. I th you know, that was like a theme. 
everybody was so excited to do this. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Two of them being Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, who we've already mentioned. They were so excited, even though their roles were basically pretty small, they wanted to have fun with it. They talked about meeting in Carol's apartment in LA to go through their parts, underlying the important words or the key moments. They created a whole backstory yes, for did. their characters. In fact, they said that they figured these two had probably been together for well over a hundred years. Yes, exactly. So, yes, I thought that was so cute. And then also I saw a lot of the castmates commenting on how hard it was not to laugh during oh, yeah. Billy's part. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Carrie's supposed to be almost dead and he's wanting to giggle while he's laying there. Rob Reiner had to walk away at one moment I so he wouldn't ruin the scene. I think they eventually had to replace Carrie with a dummy on the table because he was also <laughs> laughing. They just couldn't do it. That is so funny. And then Billy Crystal said they had lived so much of it. and mm -hmm. I, I didn't write them all down, but according to him, have fun storming the castle. Don't go swimming for an hour, a good hour. He said so ad many libs. of these were ad-libs yes. and a lot of them that he said were really funny didn't even make it into the movie because there was so much of it. Yeah, there was so much of it and some of it was a little too blue for uh, child audiences. Got it, yes. got it. Did you have any other casting notes you wanted to bring out? Um, One thing that is interesting, I just flipped to this on page 51. It's, it's sort of about how they worked with Andre. Rob Reiner's producing partner is named Andy, Andy Scheinman, I think is the way you say it. They ended up recording all of Andre's scenes on tape. Rob did Andre and I did whoever else was in the scene and Andre would walk around in headphones with that tape playing all the time listening figuring it out and it worked he was great mm -hmm. yeah. so that's just the way they approached it because uh, he just needed help mm -hmm. yeah well regarding the filming most of the movie was filmed on location in England and the castle they used was Haddon Hall which technically they said was a fortified country house not actually a castle but it dated back to 1087 and the Tapestries in Haddon Hall are original, dating to the late medieval and renaissance periods. That's amazing. And yeah. it was also the same castle that they used in the filming of Lady Jane. Ooh. So when Carrie was back there, he said he felt, and he'd only been there like the year before. So he felt very <sighs> Right at home. home. <laughs> yeah. It, it says it belongs to a, no this is on page 112 of his book. It belonged to a noble by the name of William Percival the Elder, allegedly the illegitimate son of William the Conqueror, the great Norman King. It also had a ro wonderful romantic past, which made it a perfect setting for our tale. In the late 16th century, the property belonged to the Vernons, a powerful family closely associated with the infamous King Henry VIII. Ooh, Another tie to one yes. of our subjects. So it's all just it's all coming together all coming together that's right well i thought it was cool that the author and the screenwriter william goldman got to be on set for a good chunk of the filming but did you see the cute story of how he ruined the one take <laughs> he thought that rob buttercup <laughs> was really on fire even though he he wrote it himself but he got so caught up in the moment that he started yelling her dress is on fire i think he'd been out of the room he came back in he's like what are you doing <laughs> I do have his feelings on the table read. This is one of the ones I really wanted to bring out. So Carrie says that they were all going around and talking about themselves and that Goldman was a rather famously anxious writer, which I feel you, Bill. So then it came a point where he needed to speak. And here's mm -hmm. the quote on page 55. Please understand that this is a very personal project, Bill said, his voice fading almost to a whisper. Normally, I don't care much for any of my work, but this one is different. It's my favorite thing I've ever written in my life. So if I appear a little nervous that's the reason he then thanked rob and all of us for being there and assured us that the project was in good hands oh i love that he was so invested yeah he, uh, he wanted it to be on his tombstone yeah. like this is what i want that's awesome well you mentioned fencing before but to come back to that again just for a few minutes 
I saw Mandy had some quotes about wanting to be the world's greatest sword fighter and about all the training he did and then how Carrie joined him for that. But to add a few more details, he said they became proficient, both of them, at both left and right hand fencing and that they trained with Peter Diamond and Bob Anderson, who had both worked on the first three Star Wars movies. Carrie called them the top guys in the industry. They would watch movies. They would find all the best sword fighting scenes across a variety of films and would even learn each other's parts in the fencing routine so that they could be ready for what was coming. And despite all of this, unfortunately, they still did have a sword fighting accident, but it was not between Mandy and Carrie. Actually, it happened between Chris Guest, the six-fingered man, and Carrie as Wesley. Yes. And so what happened, you probably saw this in the memoir. I did, yes. Yes. Well, do you want to tell it? Uh, No, you have the notes. I'd have to look it up, but I I can tell you the basics of what happened, but you go ahead and say it. Well, in the scene where the evil six-fingered man is supposed to knock Wesley out in order to capture and return Buttercup to Prince Humperdinck, they said the take wasn't really working because Christopher Guest, who was holding a real metal sword, was being too gentle, you know, trying not to hurt Carrie, but it was preventing Carrie from actually reacting in an authentic way. And so they, they said it kept ruining the timing and it ruined the take. So finally what happened was Carrie told him, do it for real. Yes. Let's just just do it for real. real. And here's what happened according to Carrie. Chris swung the heavy sword down toward my head. However, as fate would have it, it landed just a touch harder than either of us had anticipated. And that, folks, was the last thing I remember from that (laughs) day's shoot. In the script, Bill's, Bill's Goldman's, stage directions from the end of this scene states, the screen goes black in the darkness, frightening sounds, which is precisely what happened. He goes on to say that Christopher Guest, this little accident, put him in the hospital. He said, I woke up in the emergency room, still in costume, to the frightening sound of stitches being sewn into my skull. And of course, Chris felt absolutely terrible about the whole thing, even though I kept telling him it wasn't his fault. It was my dumb idea. But you know what? That particular take was the one that ended up in the film. So when you see Wesley fall to the ground and pass out, (laughs) that's not acting. That's an overzealous actor actually losing consciousness. (laughs) That's it. So cute. Well, I thought we would talk just briefly about the response and then take a break and come back. Sure. So we can really go into our own opinions and analysis of the movie. As I think we've already alluded, the response was actually a little disappointing. The lead of a Variety magazine article that came out for its 30th anniversary said, It's no secret The Princess Bride was not a box office success when it opened in 1987. And it's also no secret that thanks to home video, cable, DVD, and now Blu-ray, the charmingly funny fractured fairy tale directed by Rob Reiner and adapted by William Goldman from his 1973 novel has become part of the cultural landscape. It absolutely has. And they, they uh, I'm not going to quote from it because it's such a good part of the book, but he talks about how the marketing basically was terrible mm-hmm. for this movie. They did not know how to market it. They didn't know what it was. Right. How do we market this thing? Because what do we categorize it as? It's unlike anything, which is why we love it now. It's unlike anything. anything. It's so quirky. And Rob Reiner had a quote about that. He said the studio didn't know how to do it. They never even had a trailer. He said they wanted to sell it or tried to sell it as a zany comedy, but he went on to say, it takes time sometimes for these kinds of oddball movies to find an audience. And he went on to say, but oh, did it? I mean, it, it these are my words, did. but did they find their audience? It absolutely yeah. did. Woo. Okay. Well, that was a lot just about both of our research. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the movie ourselves. Absolutely. Do you love tea? Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new 
BFFs, then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandalwater merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout out of your own, and the chance to vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. Right, we're back to talk about some of our impressions about the movie or some of the things that really spoke to us. Mm -hmm. So do you want to start with something? Sure. In the book, I kind of put little stars next to things I really wanted to bring out. And this is more personal for me because they talked about the way that Rob Reiner directed. And I had never... In community theater, at least, usually you don't want to be given a line read. Actors don't like to be given mm-hmm. line reads or, or in basically told how to say a line. Mm-hmm. But I do give a lot of line reads because there's a certain way that I want it to be delivered. And I never was really able to express it. But this quote helps me mm-hmm. express it. So this is Billy Crystal talking about Rob Reiner. He says, Rob is incredibly smart about his material and very freeing for other actors to do their best work. He also knows what he wants. He'll say, I want it the way I like it. He wants it the way he he hears it. So the dialogue has a rhythm to it, an inflection, a music to it. And if you don't hit the right notes, you know it. He'll correct you about where the inflection goes and so on. I remember even on A Few Good Men, Tom Cruise would go up to him and say, tell me it again, just say it. He'd hear it and go, I got it. And then do it perfectly because there's a music to it. If you don't hit the note right, it's going to be a little flat. It's about timing and Rob has excellent timing and he loves his actors. He's a very giving director that way. Now I'm not complimenting myself on that part, but what I'm saying is the music of it and that's what I hear. I hear it in my head. There's a cadence, there's a rhythm, there's a music. And when I give a line reading, it's not because I'm trying to tell you how to be your character. It's because this goes in the orchestration in my head. Does that make sense? Mm Yeah. Yeah. So that I just really, really identify with that. I never heard another person talk about, I'm sure there are other people. I just never heard them talk about it. The line delivery is like music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the first things I think that struck me was we started with this idea of this whole thing being about true love. And I feel like the chemistry between Buttercup and Wesley is so important to this story and to this movie. Carrie and Robin Wright, the two of them together, I mean, you felt their chemistry. He really was dashing. I remember having I a big crush on oh, Wesley. Oh, the biggest. Yes. And I'm sure sure I'm sure everybody was in love with Robin Wright too I know all the castmates were but I mean the two of them together 
you just how could you not root for them to be together and then of course they fell into that whole idea of the fairy tale where they were so true to each other and it was just the purest and the the strongest love you know they went into that whole fairy tale trope but it worked it It worked so beautifully he talks about and and she has quotes in the book too and they have such a tender fondness for each Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. and in fact everyone in this film just seems to just genuinely love each other and love what they created they had a good time making it and Mm -hmm. they cared about each other yes 100% kind of building on the point I just made did this remind you of Shrek I think it's the whole fractured fairy tale idea okay but I was watching it I was thinking did Shrek was it inspired in any way by the princess bride because you had so many of the same elements which I get it they they Mm -hmm. can be that it all harkens back to the idea of the fairy tale but because it all had the same original source I guess is what they were building from to me there were a lot of parallels the true love the odious king who's trying to force the princess oh, to well, marry maybe, him yeah. the, the, I, the yeah. humor the fighting the, yeah. anyway you that was it. something that was something that came to me yes but I loved I loved I, I think I always loved turning something on its ear mm-hmm. to take all the elements of a fairy tale and then just to kind of satirize it or just I don't know just to have so much fun with it yeah you just you just couldn't help but love it and I feel like the fun that they had came through we've talked about this a lot the way that you feel when you make the project sometimes leaks through with the project mm-hmm. and even Fred Savage I don't have it written down but at one point I forget what other character he sees maybe Mandy Patankin and, and they never have a scene together but he's like I feel like we know each other should we hug and they, they just <laughs> hug and it's, they have this yes. kinship because of what they went through and um, this will be my last quote from this book because I don't want to give like I said I don't want to give away everything is book but this I think sums it up so well Carrie is talking about on page 237 why does the film endure mm-hmm. and his basic reason is because it was made with a lot of heart and for that we really have to look at the creative and tender hearts of Bill Goldman and Rob Reiner both men are very different people who came from very different backgrounds but they share one thing in common they have never lost touch with the love in their hearts for storytelling hmm. I think it was just oh I was right the Fred Savage quote it's right here it was Mandy they saw each other mm-hmm. but anyway I feel like not only I would I would counter to Carrie not only the tender hearts of Rob and Bill Goldman but also their hearts yes because there's so many stories in here of there's a story of how Wallace Shawn was scared of heights and they would work around it and help him and mm-hmm. figure out a way that they could make him feel more comfortable and how sweet Andre was and how they looked out for each other and they they sang happy birthday to Carrie on his birthday and it just Mm -hmm. seemed like they were this little family and part of it was they were on location so they were away from everything but it created a family and that family connected and it came through it just leaked through that love leaked through absolutely in fact this was yes there was adventure and there was there was betrayal there were all those things but this was a story about relationships Mm -hmm. this was a story about love and I did feel it you felt like it was everywhere it was the love that Inigo felt for his father it was the grandfather and the grandson it was Buttercup and Wesley like it was coming from every direction even Fezzik and Inigo the love they had for each other as friends 100% and you were so invested Mm -hmm. like because they generated and and conveyed so much of it you felt it I 
rooted so hard, not just for, you know, Wesley and Buttercup to get together, but when Inigo Montoyo is fighting against I the six-fingered man, and I don't get, know if I know. I've ever felt such unadulterated joy. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, oh, come on, come on, <laughs> yes, come on, come yes. on. I mean, they did such a good job of bringing you right into that story. And you were rooting. You mm-hmm. were just, yes, yes to all of it. When they ended that movie with the grandfather looking at his son and as saying, you as you wish. <gasps> I know. Oh, I know. It's just like, this is beautiful. The only, the only thing I can say about this book, as far as the negative, is I wanted it to be longer. Because as it got to the end of filming and he's wrapping up the book, I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want this to be over. And that's how he felt. They None of them wanted it to be over. He even talks about when him and Robin, the last thing they shot was the kiss. At really? the end, yes. And they just kept saying, can we have another take? Can we have another take? Because <laughs> they didn't want it to be done. Yeah. They just didn't want it to be done. Well, since you've seen him speak in person you and you've read the book, mm-hmm. so give us just a, a little summary of, of how it was to see him speak, to hear him speak versus <sighs> reading his words there. He seen, it's the same. He was, he talks about early in the book, how nervous he felt to meet people that he had looked up to and like Goldman and all these people, like you've been a part of my life for so long. I'm so nervous to meet you. That's how I felt meeting him because he had been a part of my life. He doesn't know who I am. He had been a part of my life since I was a young teenager. This film plus Mel Brooks's Robin Hood Men in Tights Mm -hmm. was the two films that were my favorite of his. I watched Lady Jane, all of this stuff. So you don't even know what to say to them. He meets hundreds of people. People, how are you going to differentiate yourself from every other person? First of all, I made sure we were the first people in line. So we were yes. like running and we got online. And then I remember just saying to him, I don't know what to say to you. I just want you to know that I exist. <laughs> and he's like, he remember him going, well, of course you exist. You're adorable. So I'm going to take that to my grave. Yes. <laughs> Gary yes. always called me adorable. <laughs> but anyway, he, he was just absolutely sweet and kind. And he took time to talk to everybody. He spoke to us took a picture with us all of that stuff but he's just lovely Mm -hmm. that's the best word to describe Mm -hmm. him is lovely and humble and sweet and it comes through you just you hear his personality on these pages yeah oh so cool armchair psychologist well we've been armchairing for quite some time so i i don't know if we if we need to discuss this or if you can just tell me Mm -hmm. what's your favorite line i was gonna ask you that for the the movie oh gosh oh Okay, first thing I thought, it's it's not what you would expect. I think the sword fight. Hmm. I think the sword fight is my favorite because I, especially after reading the book, but even before reading the book, it's all fantastic. But that sword fight, they work so hard on it and it's all them. And I admire it as a craft standpoint. I admire what they created together and just the you, you can't that's the reason I wanted to go see it in the theaters because I wanted to see that sword fight really? on the big screen yeah yeah because they said other than the one flip yeah it was all, all them and yeah. they had a two-minute sword fight and they went through it so fast that they that's why they watched all those movies they had to add more bits to yes. it because Rob's like that's it that's all you're gonna <laughs> do so they you know but by that time they were so proficient that they could add different yes. pieces to yes. it but I, I guess that was the first thing that leapt to my mind what is yours well I mean I think my first go around, it would be, you know, when you actually get Buttercup and Wesley together and then, Mm -hmm. you know, like the the traditional moments. But I think 
thinking about it now, okay, this is not my favorite moment, but I laughed like crazy when she realizes he he goes down the hill, tump feet, you know, <laughs> what is it, head over feet, uh-huh. and he says, "As you wish," and then she throws herself like, over. Oh, my I remember that was one of the most. Oh, she's mem- like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. I think that's a great scene, but I think, oh, I mean, how can I, it has to be one. I like how with both of them, I think the suspense, the way that you had Carrie as uh, Wesley immobilized and you were just rooting for him to be able to pull it off and to defeat, you know, the the king. And then when you have the sword fight over here with Inigo against a six-fingered man. Oh, yeah, that was emotional. Those, I think, were my two, I think those were my two most invested scenes. When he stands up and he says, drop your sword I was yes. like chills it was chills. it was amazing yeah. because you're just you are literally in knots going mm-hmm. yeah oh so well done there's so many times that you okay since you haven't seen it as much are there any lines from it that you find yourself quoting ever well of course I mean inconceivable as mm-hmm. you wish I mean mm-hmm. that's probably the ones that would be mine as the person who's not seen it as often. An odd one that I will quote is, she kissed me, the old man, <laughs> yeah. where she's like, I'm going to kill myself. And he's like, that's nice. She yeah. kissed me. <laughs> so it's cute. Can I say the one thing that hit me wrong? What? When Wesley is fighting against the rodents of, what was it? Unusual, unusual size. size. R-O-U-S's? I don't think they exist. And he's getting basically mangled. Oh, she's just standing and there? Yes. I'm like, this is, okay, this is the only thing that's not ringing true I know. to me. I know. Why? She could have easily gotten that sword. <laughs> we talked about have... that in the Jurassic Park episode where little Tim is just standing there hopping up and down. And then Elle is over there going, I need the gun. And I'm like, if only there was someone not doing anything. <laughs> yes. Go get the gun, little Tim. You know, hand it to Elle. Um, yeah. It's just. Yeah, that, that hit me so wrong. I'm like, is it because we're trying to live in the damsel in distress Maybe. fairy tale yeah. trope right there? Yeah. And then later she's going to be stronger or. I mean, she was never a hugely. He talks about in the book. She has a hard. She has a hard job in that she is the straight character. Mm-hmm. They all get funny lines. She never gets a funny line. Mm-hmm. She just has to play it straight as an arrow. And very loyal. Very loyal. Very, and very so much faith. She mm-hmm. just she just puts her so much faith in Wesley. Yeah, I am a silly girl. I think of that too. Mm-hmm. There's just different things that the way they deliver it. You think about it in your regular life. Well, oh my goodness. Okay, who? We have to cheers, Carrie. Cheers to Carrie, yes, but also to Bill Goldman, who without this That's wouldn't right. exist. And he was so, he persevered. He he, he really pushed through and he made sure that this happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so cheers to Mr. Carrie Elways and William slash Bill Goldman. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. 
It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.